Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Jamie here. Thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying the content in my Philacrosophy podcast, my Inside the Eight podcast, or my A Lacrosse Weekend blogs, I would encourage you to check out the store at jamesfreesports.com. I've created awesome content for coaches, players, and parents in both men's and women's lacrosse. For coaches, the coaches training program. It's, it's a combination of cutting edge and practical. We have Division I men's and women's coaches all the way down to high school, JV, and youth. For players, I've created JM3 player academies, which are designed to teach every variation of every skill for boys and girls across. And for parents, I've created JM3 recruiting portal, where I've taken all of the content from my blogs, my podcasts, from webinars, and other interviews, and pooled all of this information in one place where parents can get access to incredible content and insights from the very coaches that you're hoping to play for. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome John Basti to the Philosophy Podcast. John is the head coach at Sacred Heart. He's been there for seven years and had a couple of his best seasons over the last few. Um, and really excited to talk to John about his, building his program, his philosophies, and the way he's been reinventing himself. John, how you doing, man? Good, James. How are you? So fired up to have you on. Same here, man. It's been a, it's been a long time. I mean, we were – I just remember, like, back in the day, back in the early 2000s, when, like, you and Double were just working on some of the stuff, and it was like – I felt like we talked all the time, and then recently it's like – I know. We haven't talked in so long, but this is sick. This is yes. awesome. Thanks for having me. So good, man. So good. Um, so – before we uh, dive into it, it's been a couple months since I've done a podcast. You're my first podcast back. So number one, fired up to have you on. And number two, want to hear a little bit about what you've been doing over this quarantine to keep yourself sane and to make yourself better. Uh, didn't, uh, to be honest with you, um, one of the things that probably uh, not saved me, but gave me a lot of that that really brought a lot of purpose back into to my coaching world was the fact that we were able to work with the the youth teams with a, with the Eclipse guys um, and like we do a lot with Eclipse my my our program does a lot with Eclipse and um, being able to coach the little guys and like work on that stuff and watching my sons be able to play thank God for right now in Connecticut we're doing really really well and we're in phases where we can start doing some stuff and like watching my sons be able to compete playing lacrosse it's been like a godsend for our family and for, I think for a lot of families, it's almost like it's very therapeutic. So that's one thing that saved me. But a lot of things that we did once this whole thing started was um, at first we spent a lot of time with our guys uh, online and like doing a lot of this stuff and a lot of video chatting and a lot of communication with them just to kind of keep them in, a, in the right frame of mind and keep them after everything that happened in the spring that we see now is happening with fall athletes. We were just trying to keep those guys okay. Um, and then once school was over, like when, like it normally would be, we really got into trying to think about new ways to 
to be better coaches and to be, be a better program. I think last year we struggled because we were so big picture focused. We went from being a program. So I'll take it back a couple of years, you know, 2016, 17, going into that season, we were very result oriented, which is why we were not very good. And then we started turning into becoming more um, in the moment in next play focused in, in play focused instead of result focused. And a big reason was we worked with this guy, Chris Buck, who's a real good friend of mine. Um, and he started having us really work on the mental side of the game. And that took a lot for me because as a coach, as a head coach, I mean, you had a lot of success at Denver and you had a lot of success as a coach. And I think we as coaches are like, that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to get our guys prepared mentally to play the game. So different now. And there's so many different ways to do that, that I had to come to grips with the fact that that's something I needed help with. And I needed to be a better coach at that point. So we, I met this guy, Chris, and he started talking about little things. And the one thing he talked about was shooting percentage. If you can get a better shooting percentage, you're going to be more productive and you're going to be more successful. In 2016, when we were 2 and 14, our shooting percentage was 20%. In 2017, 18, our shooting percent, or sorry, 2016-17, our shooting percentage was 29%. We went from being 2 and 14 to being 11 and whatever, having the best season in program history and making the playoffs. All like Tuttle became an All-American. Guys became better. Guys became more um, – they, they became more productive, but they became so much more confident because it was all about the mental toughness, all about the mental side of the game, all about just teaching or just playing and having purpose instead of like, we got to score a goal. We got to score a goal. Well, let's just play and we see what happens. And if we screw up, so what? We just keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. Our riding went through the roof. Our clearing went through the roof. We played a transition style up and down lacrosse. That was so much fun to practice so much fun to play guys were looking forward to getting to the weight room at 7 a.m because they knew that that workout they were doing at 7 a.m is going to make them better three months later and be allow them to be able to push the ball and run transition and stay on the field longer so like everything changed based on shooting percentage well what did you so, do differently to to shoot better did you shoot more we, did you make different shots different shots I think it was all three of those, but honestly, Jamie, what it was is we took the cuffs off. We let him play. We were like, this is what we, this, are, this is the mindset that we want you to play in. We're going to give you, we're not going to give you structure. We're going to give you kind of, we're going to, we're going to actually, yes, it, we're going to put structure, a structure into chaos. And we're going to, we're going to throw our chaos quotient was one of my favorite terms our chaos quotient is going to go through the roof. So we're going to be awesome in chaos, ground balls, riding situations, clearing situations. Like we're going to be great at those. And then we're going to take that and turn it into our settled situations. So we turn our settled situations from settled into straight chaos. So even though it doesn't look like what we know what we're doing, we actually do because we're so, we're so conditioned to be used to it. And we became very comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and you know, like we put purpose behind everything. Our practice plans had purpose. It wasn't like, we're just going to do a two on O shooting drill. What's the point of that? We're going to do a shooting drill that mimics what we want to do in transition. And we're going to, this is the purpose behind it. We took the, so that was where we started. And then we started really hammering that stuff home and really started 
doing drills that were more um that were so focus based and not just doing drills to do drills like making sure your stick gets to the inside making sure that your stick you're in the triple threat position or the double threat position making sure you're doing these things the right way and we hammered home fundamentals and that was all we worked on right and so it, we got better at it um and then we kind of got a little stagnant and you know I, I reached out to somebody that i have a ton of respect for and like chris was always there chris buck was always there he's always talking to me talking to our guys and he still works with our program he's a great dude i suggest you look i know that you like that you gave plugs to the stat guy and the thing which the pll oh. stat guy is is sick by the way i love that dude is awesome yeah but, oh joe keegan but also do you know michael yeah. Mobus, michael mobison no, I don't. You got to check out stats with Michael Mobison. Um, I'll send you information on him. I did a podcast with him, and he he is a uh, an amazing guy. He lives in Fairfield County, actually. Um, oh he, yeah. Yep. He is a financial analyst. He is an author. Um, he is an adjunct professor at the business school of, at Columbia Business School, and mm -hmm. uh, as a hobby, he does um, sports analytics. And he and he he's got that. relationships with NBA, NFL, NHL. Uh, teams and he does stuff with lacrosse regularly so you should definitely check that out and of course shooting percentage is one of the main, main indicators of winning um, and uh, with Jeff Tambroni and he referenced Mobison and really their their concepts of really focusing on shooting percentage the same way you are it, it is massive mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and like Chris brought that up. We didn't even think about that. Like we didn't even think about analytics. And he was like, if you take 40 shots a game and your shooting percentage is 30%, you're going to score goals in the double digits. So why wouldn't you try to take 40 shots a game? Why wouldn't you try to take fit? We were taking 50, 60 shots a game at one point. And it was like, they were good shots. Unfortunately for us, we also play against the, our conference has awesome goalies. On every team, they're like, "This guy's an all could be an all American. This guy's an all conference guy. This guy, it's like our our entire conference is yeah flooded with sick goalies." So that was also something yeah. that we had to work on. But um, so then, like, we use Chris for we still use Chris, and you should look him up. Chris Buck, he's a great yeah, dude. And then and then we started working with. Um, we became really good friends through when Mike Chanichuk, um So. Mark Miasha, who's now the head coach at Canisius, he was our offense coordinator in 16-17. And he started teaching. We, we did a lot of box fundamental stuff. We did a lot of – we were very, very two-man based, and it was great for us. Um, and then when he left and went to Canisius, we hired – we were able to get Mike Chanichuk with us. And Chani's the man. I love the dude. He's a great coach. He's at Stony Brook now. And he did a lot for our team because he was so – he kind of took that next level of fundamental teaching and he was able to do a lot of stuff with our guys that kind of left right off where Sheetsy we picked right up where Sheetsy left off. And so through Chani, we met, we got really in touch. We got pretty tight with um, coach Stagnita and, and Stags um, became part of our program in Chani's second year, along with JC Glick, his business partner and they own athlete 360 and they started working on with us a lot of um, leadership and culture building. And they help us really define our culture and what we want to be about um, as a whole, you know? And so, and that also in, in that, that had implications on the way we play and the way we coach and the way we teach and the way we practice plan. And it gave, it made us really, really focus on our purpose. Like, why are we doing things? Why are we, 
why are we playing five? Why are we running five on fours? Like, are we just going to run the same way every time? No. Why are we doing it? And, and being communicating with the players to allow them to understand why we're doing certain things. And like a big, a big phrase that we use is everything we do. There's a reason for everything we do. And they know that. And the, and the guys function as such. And we started asking them a lot of questions and telling, instead of telling them what to do, like, what was your mindset there? What was your thought there? Why did, why were you doing that? Why did you do this? And what that allowed us to do is that allowed us to get more into their heads and allow us to realize where, where they were coming from and why they were making certain decisions. And that put us in a position to then be like, okay, this is the way we need to teach these guys. This is the way these guys need to learn how to do certain things. And they started coaching each other. And so we ended up, there were times where during games, me, Mike, and even coach Skelly, Eric Skelly, our defense coordinator, he even, we started doing that with the defense too. We'd be standing there. We wouldn't say a word. Like we'd be coaching, we'd be coaching the game, not talking. We didn't have to because the guys were doing it on their own. And it also takes a certain, I mean, we had some pretty damn good players and some pretty really strong minded people um, and some great leaders. And I think that has to be cultivated, but that's something that we, that was really, really important for us. And that kind of crept into the next couple of years. And then this year we kind of got away from it and only because we were, we felt like it was our turn. We felt like we should be winning games instead of just playing lacrosse. And we, we realized that halfway through the season and then COVID-19. Yeah. And, Ruined it for and, here, and here we are and hiring Chris doctor, bringing him over from Penn state, like to, and, and like, now we have that mindset where Doc's he he's his mindset's based in the box game and he he's a native and he's he's played box forever um, and so he brings that type of mindset now and our guys love it and and so it's so in, in focusing on this um, focusing on this fundamental base style where we're for lack of a better term we're taking the cuffs off just go here's what we here's what we want you to do. We're going to spend all our time teaching fundamentals. Take those fundamentals and go play, you know. And and so it seems a kind of uh, it seems a little bit contradictory to say we're going to like just focus on fundamentals and now just go play. How do you make that work? Because so often when you focus on fundamentals, by the way, I don't even know what the definition of fundamentals is, but let's just say sure. you know my do my definition of fundamental might be very different than yours, but. Uh, or and yours different than the next person's, right? But um, but it also it's like there's so many coaches that are teaching fundamentals and then they're demanding fundamentals and then they're whether they they think they're taking the cuffs off, but they're really telling people what to do or what not what not to do. A great quote right. was Lyle Thompson didn't get to be where he was by people telling him what not to do. Mm -hmm. So how and, and do that, you how do you uh, resolve you know this element of fundamentals and this element of taking the cuffs off so i feel like if you're if you have good fundamentals and your sticks in the right place and like you don't have to if you don't have to worry about catching and throwing it with either hand and it's just a natural progression for you it opens up your mind to do other things if you think about like when do you get your best ideas it's when your mind's already engaged to play this game, you have to be creative. To play this game, you have to have a free mind. And you got to be able to adjust like that. You got to be able to slow down and speed up in the, in within within steps. And so, you can't do that if you're constantly concerned with 
what's this guy going to do? What do I have to do here? What is coach telling me to do when this happens? You have to be able to think on your toes and you have to be able to do so without hesitation. And so I firmly believe that if your minds, if your subconscious is engaged in, in, in doing the basic fundamental things, it allows your consciousness to, able, to be able to, to move faster and it allows your brain to move faster and analyze situations a lot quicker. And so by teaching the fundamentals, now teaching the fundamentals is a lot different. I think, I think per, like you said, per person. For us, the fundamentals are just being really good at the simple things, like being really good at having great stick skills in all situations having good sh and shooting percentage, like being able to shoot in all situations, teaching underhands, teaching sidearm, teaching behind the back passes, teaching all those things and are allowing kids to do those without hesitation and without us saying, you can't do it. It's like, if we're going to do it, let's work on it and let's do it so we can be good at it. It's like, how do you expect a kid to go into a game and be able to read a situation with a two man in a two man game on a wing when the slide is coming, if you don't let them do that in practice, they're not going to be able to. And so you got to be able to allow, you have to allow them to do these things in practice, but they have to be able to do it with, and knowing and, and having the, the ultimate confidence that when they're in that situation, the pass they make is going to be able to get to their teammate. And I think that's just part of being a good teammate is being able to work on those things. So, you know, you're always going to be able to most of the time be able to put your teammate in a positive situation. So um, how would and, you define fundamentals for you? For, well, for me, the fundamentals are, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be as a program? Who do you want to be as a team? What do you want to do? And so your fundamentals are the 20% skills that you need to be successful. One of the things that we really started looking into was um, we, we, I, I bought a book for our whole coaching staff called um, it's by Doug Lemoff. I have it right here. Actually, it's called practice. Perfect. So I'm going to show it to you. I don't know if I can do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Nice. Great book. And what it talks about is taking the, the, the 80, 20 rule. That's a business principle or the 20, 80 rule. It's a business principle and applying it to athletics. And so that 20% in the business, if people don't understand what that means is the mindset is, um, 20, 80% of your profit comes from 20% of your customers. And so you have to put 80% of your time into those 20%. So that way your customers are constant. So you're constantly have that, that, um, that 80% turnover or that, that 80% production and that 80% money that's coming in though, that other 80% the 80% of your customers that are new customers, you can't forget about them, but you have to spend 80% of your time working on and focusing on that 20%, the 20% of your customers. Take that to athletics, focusing 80% of your time on your 20% skills. And so that eight, those 20% skills, if you focus a lot of time on that and not focus so much time on big picture stuff, and you focus on whatever that 20% skill is for your program, you're going to get better. And I think that's per every, everybody's different. Like for us, some of our 20% skills are understanding the way to attack a two man game, understanding the way to where your stick should be and being able to put yourself in a situation to dodge and to throw stick fakes and to do all this stuff. So you need to have good stick skills. 
So how do you do that? Well, you break it down even further, working on shooting in certain spots in the field, working on shooting mechanics, working on situations so the guys are just comfortable being uncomfortable so they're always in, their minds are always engaged it goes back to the mindset of having your mind engaged in a in a subconscious way so consciously they can make decisions quickly so so fundamentals for you isn't like overhand no it's, it's fundamental for you is being you know it's kind of it's a big it's a really uh, it's a 360 degree you know, look at, 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 at a player and what they should be able to do within the scope of what they're good at and who they are. So, yeah. So everybody's different. shooting, you got to be able to shoot at all these different angles and have, you know, time room shot, a shot on the run, you know, as a feeder, you got to be able to feed in all different ways, you know, so for mm -hmm. you behind the back one would be one hand behind the back. That's fundamental to, to being a great player. Um, I so, think so. Yeah. And there's people right now that are watching this that are like, are you nuts? Like what I can't stand is when I hear youth coaches scream, shoot it overhand. Well, then the kid shoots it overhand the next shot and it goes 30, he misses the cage anyway. It's like, well, instead of telling the kid to shoot it overhand all the time, why don't you work on letting him shoot at three quarters? Why don't you work on underhand and sidearm shots? Like they, they, these are things that you can, that it, it's not always, you're not always going to be able to get an overhand shot. The amount of shots that I've seen blocked because people are trying to shoot overhand all the time, defenseman sticks are right here. Yep. And so if I'm shooting overhand all the time, it's going to be blocked by a defenseman's stick. So shoot around him. Learn to shoot around him. Learn to shoot under him. Learn to use him as a screen. These are all things that need to be taught and need to be – the kids need to be confident in doing this stuff because then if they're confident in doing it, they're just going to do it. It's just going to happen in games. It's muscle memory. If you're never practicing it, how do you expect the kid to do it in the game? It doesn't happen. Yeah, no doubt. And I think in, in some ways – you can say, and we talked about this in our little conversation before this podcast, but you can teach, you can teach anybody anything, but really they have to learn it if they're going to do it. And right. the difference is they have to figure things out on their own and in context because teaching, if you have the time, you can teach anything to anybody. You can literally mm -hmm. teach any skill to anybody, but that doesn't mean they'll ever go and use it. Correct. Uh, and I think this is why when you talk about taking the handcuffs off, why your team began to function more autonomously and more subconsciously, they just made plays and they learned how to communicate with each other and they didn't rely on the coach to tell them what to do or what to, you know, what to think. And, and that, that, you know, becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of, now our team, we, we, we're, we're developing leaders, we're developing coaches, but we're doing it by, by, by not structuring it. It's funny. You said, I was just laughing because I was thinking about something in my head. My, one, of, one of my best friends, Andrew Geeson, who's the associate head coach at Monmouth, he's got a T-shirt that it says, I believe it says, the kids are playing their butts off and the coaches are screwing it up. Like, and it just, it makes me laugh every time I see that yeah. shirt. Cause I'm like, it's so true. It's <laughs> so many times that's true. And in youth, youth sports, you can see it. And like, you brought up some teaching versus learning. Like I'm a big why guy. I'm, I, I, why the word why is so important to me. You know, why are you doing something? Why are we doing something? What's the purpose behind this? I think if, if kids understand why, they are doing something and that there's a purpose behind the process and the procedure that they're going through, 
that why allows them to learn. And if, if you're, it doesn't matter if I'm standing up here saying, this is what we want you to do. Because if I say that, they're not gonna do it. Right. Because they don't believe in it. They're not learning it. But if they understand the why, they're gonna learn it. They're gonna wanna be better at it. And like, that's, I think that's part of our culture. So yeah. like we talk in our culture, our culture is very much based on allowing our guys to be themselves and, and not pigeonholing people into certain, like you're a shooter or, you know, if you're a funny guy, we want you to be a funny guy. We don't want you to shut up because I want you to shut up. Like we allow our guys to be themselves. And I think that that mindset allows them to be very comfortable around each other and allows them to hold each other to a higher standard, which is so important. Um, and you know, that, that standard of excellence and that standard of accountability is so important to building a good program. And, and I think that's the why allows us to do that. I think the why is incredibly important personally also. I, I ask why all the time. Why, are, why did that happen? Why does that work? Why are we teaching this or do people teach that? Um, and I think the why is incredibly important, but I, I also think there's an element of it that, that has zero bearing on learning in the sense that, and this is very counterintuitive, people can learn without practicing it. They can learn things without being taught at all. And they just, by just doing it. For example, mm -hmm. have you ever done something athletically that you've never done before? You just did it this one time and you're like, wow, that was actually pretty cool. Yes. I've never done that before. Never even thought of that, you know, and I'm seeing that with all the pickup games from this past summer that I was showing you. I go back and watch all the video and I'd be like, what? What did I do right there? I don't even know what I did. I've never done that before. Like, why did I do that? And it's like, this is the implicit learning that requires hands off and doesn't require a why, actually. It just requires doing it. Yeah. Playing. And it, it's allowing kids to do it. So it's funny, you brought, I, I'm going to refer to my children again. Um, my younger son, Tom, his first summer playing lacrosse, he had a tremendous summer. So we, in his, with his club team, he was in, in, I'll take it. I'll take him back to his youth in the, in the spring. He scored like so many, he had so many points. Like it was unbelievable. And he was actually calling. That's when Max Tuttle had his first really tremendous year. And Joseph JC had their first really good years for us. He was actually talking to those guys, like comparing points the whole, the whole season. Like it was pretty cool. Like the, the, the relationship that he has, first of all, the relationship our team has with my sons is they, it's like they're big brothers. Like they're, they're little brothers. They love my sons and my sons love all our, our guys on our team. And when you have guys like Max and Joe on our team, guys, kids are going to gravitate to them. Right. So um, he had a really good fall, spring, a really good, a really good summer. And then he went and played in that all American game thing um, where like you just get put on a team and like he tried out for it. He made it. And he was on like the Florida team where it was really all Long Island guys, but they were just on the Florida team. And so he's my wife is filming this thing because i'm at a recruiting event i couldn't be there and like my son takes the ball at x dodges right-handed to the right side stops comes back with to his left hand puts a stick in his right hand and just backhand shovels it scores a goal like from her and it was like where did he learn that and it was like he just did it he didn't learn it nobody taught him it he just did it because he felt like it was right and 
like I was showing people this and they're like, wow, that's pretty cool that he can do that. And like, those are things that we encourage, I encourage our players to do. And I encourage him to do that. I'm like, do it, just go do it. Yeah. Just go play. And like, nobody, I was in, I was blown away by it. It was so cool to watch. It and, is. And it's so fascinating that that can happen. It's so counterintuitive yeah. because many people would say, well, we'll, we'll teach you how to shoot a backhand shot and we'll work on it and we'll, we'll do it against air and then we'll do it in the situation da, 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 and you keep working on it. But, but actually if you give kids enough chance to just do it and to not do it or to screw it up, eventually they're going to figure out the solution to the problem, which is how am I going to score when I'm coming around and I don't really want to shoot with my left hand and rather reach with my right. And so um, I don't know. It's uh, it's, it's interesting because there are so many people that'll just say, I don't think you should do this. Like we need to rep this out. You need to work on, you know, we got to rep, 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 rep. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, I just don't believe that repping out backhand shots would have made your son do that better than nope. just playing and intrinsically implicitly, sorry. Um, in learning how to do that and make that play. But you know what does? three on two in the backyard with him and his two friends right and his brother and me and coached him him for him playing one-on-one -on -one with Mike Chan and Chuck in our driveway yeah. on Labor Day weekend you know just like for for two hours and like him going out on the field with my older son with a couple of the coaches playing three on twos and doing through like playing trash can or playing like three by right. that's where he learned that stuff and yeah. so like that's what we did with our 25s this summer is like we just played three on two all the time just, that's all we did. Just played three on two and four on threes. Like it, it was, it, and it wasn't like four on three, run down the field, throw to the point guy. It was like, no, we're going to, it's like you go from offense to defense, defense out. So you're, so you're always moving and like, you're learning different things. You're just playing. And it's, that's, the, I think the best way to teach people is to allow them to do it. And, and that's where like the one thing that was constant from 2016, fall of 2016, spring of 2017, when our, we turned our programming around to right now, is when we were successful, it was, and it's, I'm going to say this and it's kind of like, um, it's, it's pretty simple and it's a pretty simple idea and it's been beaten to death. Next play mentality. You know how hard that is to actually do? Like, it's great to say it. It's easy to say, but to actually implement it and actually live by it and learn it is so impossible. It's so hard to do. You have to have the mindset of I'm willing to, do something where I could screw up, but if I screw up, whatever, I'm just going to work harder to make the next play. And so as a coach, it's very hard to stay in the, in that moment. But that was something that Chris drilled into us the first two years and something that coach Staggs and JC and, and Chris, who still works with our program, we all talk about. And it's like, it's, you have to constantly remind yourself to do that and to be able to play without fear of, of making mistakes, but understand that learning from the mistakes and get and improving on them is extremely important. So there is a difference there, but you can't be afraid to make them because if you are, you're going to be slow. You're not going to be creative. You're not going to want to, you're not going to play your, at your potential. If you're always afraid of making a mistake, I just can't stand that mindset. You know, that's why like we became very, that's the difference between being, situation-based and process-based as opposed to being result-based. This year with our team, we were result-based. We got away from being process-based, which is why we were unsuccessful.
in the beginning half of the season. We had the talent, we had the skills, we had the athleticism. We just, we were so worried about the score and not enough worried about just playing the game. And, you know, it's like, that's probably the difference between the, the, the great, the, I mean, athleticism and skill and all that stuff is, you know, it's like, even if you're in the ACC or the Big Ten, you get the, the best players. But it's like, why do teams beat those teams that shouldn't? Why did Robert Morris go and beat Penn State a couple of years ago? Because they just play. Like, they're so process-based. And Drew does a really good job with those guys on just being like, guys, just play. Just play. You never hear him, like, yelling at the dudes on the sideline for mistakes they make. They're always thinking about the next play and, like, what's going to happen? And he's built a ridiculously good program there. You yeah. know, it's the same thing with Greg Greg Raymond up at Hobart. And I'm just referring to teams that we play in our conference. But, like, Greg went to this system and Hobart goes plays to the system. And the reason why they're successful and they've been so good and they can hang with teams that are better than them is because they just stay they're, – they're so process-based. They're not – they're not, they're, they're not worrying about the score. They're not worrying about what is going to happen. They're worrying about, or they're thinking about what are we doing right now? What are we doing next? And it's, it's, it's a hard mindset to get into, but when you do, sky's the limit, man. The sky's the limit. All right, switching gears. Um, I would really like to hear about who the, some of the most important mentors in your career along the way were um, as, a, as an athlete and as an assistant and even as a head coach. Um, I would think there, there's, there's a lot of people. I think the number one thing that I've learned in this job is that relationships mean everything. And, and the person I learned that from was there's two people that really, that really started me with that mindset. And that was um, one of our really good mutual friends, Daryl D. Double D is like my, he's uncle double to my kids. Like he's, he's so, it's been so important in my life. Um, if I wouldn't be married to my wife, if it was for him. He literally introduced me to my wife. So like, he's been a huge impact on me. Coach Tierney, um, from when he, from back in the days when I was just like a volunteer assistant at, at Fairfield, um, Coach T really and Metsy and, and him and Coach T and Dave Metzpower kind of really took a liking to me because they saw that like I really wanted to be good at this thing and and I worked really really hard working camps and like every single time I worked at camp I looked at it as a job interview, and so they they picked up on that and they like kept giving me more opportunities and. Eventually, you know, I really fell into that. And Coach T is a, a huge, a huge part of my life still. And so is Metsy. And um, I think as I kind of went through my coaching career, meeting Terry Mangan and being with him for a year, he introduced me to the, all those Springfield guys like Andy Shea and, um, and Coach Canella and being able to get in with those guys and being in, in, in uh, Jay Miller, being tight with those guys, really, it really allowed me to learn different things from different people. Um, and then kind of, as I went through my life through coaching, um, going from Lafayette to Hartford, meeting Peter Lawrence and like being able to see what it's like to be a father and a coach and how to balance that whole thing. Um, just did tremendous things for me as personally and professionally and him, it, Pete was very much, this is what I want our program to look like. Go figure it out coach your guys. And I did. And it was, he allowed me to, to really reinvent, uh, tr give me a, a good opportunity to be who I am. And he was so supportive to my family and so supportive to me. Um, you know, and it's like, 
I, that was another really, and then I met a lot of him, people because of him, like becoming friends with all the guys that he knew. So it opened up another whole area of people that I got to know. And then that allowed me to get to where I am with Sacred Heart and like being able to refer to people like Coach Tierney or talk to Coach Cottle about stuff, talk to Coach Seaman about things. Like those people really took a liking to me and then working different camps, meeting all these different coaches, working army camp and becoming friends with Jack Emmer and becoming friends with Coach Alberici. Like those guys, again, opened me up to a whole nother area of, of, of people that allowed me to learn different things. Um, then when I got to Sacred Heart, just having, being pretty blessed to have some awesome assistant coaches between Sheetsy, um, Scott Bement, who has played for me at Hartford, then coached with us here at, at Sacred Heart for two years, meeting Chase Calkin, who you know very well, like getting that mindset, you know, and, and so, um, you know, being able to, to work with Chase and, and getting kind of that, the, the way, a different perspective on things. Um, and then when Sheetsy moved on, to have a tremendous amount of success this first year and has continued to have success at Canisius, bringing Mike Chanachuk in, which opened me up to that whole, a whole nother area of people that I didn't know. Um, and having his perspective from the professional side and the MLL side and now the PLL side. And then when Chani moved on, I was able to, we were able to bring Chris Doctor, who again, who I've known for so many years, um, that, that he he allowed me to look at different things from different perspectives and then you know having Eric Skelly with us and learning things that he brings to the table um you know those relationships have become so important but there's always been a group of about five guys that um that we've stuck together through this whole thing from back in the day of coaching for 10 days straight at 205 and living in the dorms when in in University of Maryland when it was 7,000 degrees and like sneaking air conditioners into rooms so we can we can uh, at least survive and sleep you know and like um chris miller from villanova chris chris doctor who works with us now at sacred heart um andy german from uh, cleveland state and andy geeson from um from monmouth those are the guys we kind of stuck together this whole time and like we're we're, we're more than just buddies because of coaching like we're best friends and like i'd say the same thing about double i'd say the same thing about peter I'd say the same thing about, I can call those guys at any time. Coach Tierney, I can call them at any time. And it's like, they'll listen and they'll be there to help me. And it's the same thing with me for them. It's like, they need me for anything. They know I'm here. And I think those relationships never go away. You know, and meeting Chris Buck, who's helped me do a lot of things mentally and meeting Coach Dagnita, who's opened my mind and JC Glick, who's opened my mind to so many different things. And it doesn't hurt that Bobby Valentine's my boss. He's pretty cool, you know, and like, Another guy I met at Sacred Heart, Brad Herbert, who is our program administrator and deputy AD, who's now the athletic director at Fairleigh Dickinson. He was a huge, huge um, mentor for me while I was trying to figure out how to be a head coach. Like, he gave me so much, such a different perspective on so many different things and allowed me to just make mistakes and learn from them. Um, and, and always was like, let's get, get better. And we did. And so all these people... I feel like I'm a part of all of them, right? And then how can I forget my, my wife? You know, like my wife is so important. My family is so important to me. And my wife is such a huge part of our program and a huge part of our team because we are such a family-based program, which I learned from my father and my mother and my grandfather. And so there's so many people that have been such an important part of my life to put me where I am today. It's like, I just want, like, those are the people that I love and that I thank all the time when I talk to them because 
it's all about that. It's all about, it's all about those relationships. And I feel like your culture and your program is all based on the relationships that you, that you have. And it's based on all the different things that you've learned um, going, going forward, you know, and it's like, it, it just, it is who I am. It's made me the man I am. And I feel like if, if I'm going to be a good person and a good man, my program is going to follow that mindset. And so that, that's, and excuse me, our program, because I hate using me, my, and I, like we're, it's all about us. It's all about we, and, and the family is based on the, the parts of the whole coming together in, in allowing everybody to be themselves, but also understanding that there's a purpose to everything we do. And like, there's, there's, there's an accountability to everything, but there's a reason why there's an accountability. And it's not about me, it's about us. It's not about you as an individual, it's about us as a program and, uh, and your teammates. You know, being good teammates is so important to us and our culture is so based on that mindset. Um, Love it. So. Um, all right, switching gears again. Um, let's talk a little two-man game. Nice, I was waiting for this. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I sent you uh, my uh, my favorite uh, webinar that uh, that I, I put together about three months ago, but I spent about a year thinking about this. And it was not something that was necessarily new in any one of its pieces. It was more of just an overall mindset for me. But I want to hear your opinion on two-man game um, in any way. I, I absolutely love it. Our offense is based on the two-man offense, the two-man mindset. Um, I think it opens up so many opportunities and possibilities for people. And I think what it does is it allows everybody on your team to be part of what you're trying to do, because you can run a two man game with anybody. You don't need to be the fastest. You don't need to be the strongest. You don't need to be the biggest. You don't need to be the smallest. You can just, if you, if you, if you have a, if you're creative and you, you understand certain concepts and you have a good stick, you can be really successful in the two man game. That includes playing that mindset and doing those things in transition. We teach our defensemen offensive opportunity. Like we teach our defensemen how to play offensively because it's so important for those guys to be comfortable in those situations, as well as teaching our offensive players how to play defense because we want them to learn both sides of the ball so they can apply those things they learn when they're playing in their specific positions. And so, um, you know, the two man game has, I think, is evolved in so many different ways, um, but the purest sense of it, in the, in the box sense of it, I think is the best way to play it. And is you can adopt that system to play in, on the field. Um, and I don't think it's difficult. And, and the concepts are so similar. And I watched the video you sent me, you know, it, it is. And I think back to when, when I was a defensive coordinator in at Hartford and at Lafayette and things that I do now we do now with our defense it's like just because there's a two-man game doesn't mean you don't slide to it so you, you a two-man game is occupying three defenders all the time possibly four and so that creates a lot of openings on other sides of the field and elsewhere in the offense but what it also does is allow people to manipulate defenses in different ways by just doing simple things and manipulating defenses is how you score goals on offense. You know, it's like, it's just, it's pretty simple. It's really not, it's really not very complicated. It's like, if you can manipulate this one person, there's a good chance you're going to score a goal. And so I think the two man game is so it's, there's a reason why everybody's trying to do it. I don't necessarily think that everybody's actually running true two man games because I don't think it, 
the two-man game is not simply getting a short stick to set a pick for a long stick. You know, that's not a two-man game. That's just setting a pick. It's like, what are the concepts you're trying to, what are you, what are you trying to learn? And what are you trying to do? And what are the purposes behind the two-man game? You know, and, and I think those are, those are extremely important for teams to, for people to understand, for coaches to understand is just setting a pick is, you're just setting a pick. You can do that in any offense. So. So how would you define it as two-man game? It's people understanding, uh, understanding that if you're, if things are going on over here, there needs to be, you have to engage the defense everywhere else by doing certain things and by working together. And it, there really can't be a script to it. It's almost like you have to, you have to learn how to work. Teams have to learn how to work in, in fours and pairs and threes almost, kind of like soccer does. Like a big thing we've been doing is we've been focusing on the way soccer plays. And like they have this drill they call the Rondo, um, where it's in threes, fours, and fives. And it's like three on two, five on two, four on two. It's all different ways and manipulations that they do within a small area that allows them to learn different concepts. And I think that's a really good way to focus on how to play a two-man game is by learning how to do it with, with just basic concepts, but allowing you to do it in different ways. And so playing, if, if you're setting a pick on the, if you're setting a down pick on the front side, the backside wing guys, they have to engage their defenders. So how do they do that? Well, they may cut through a cycle. They may cycle a crease guy out to the wing by bring a wing guy up. They may work in a triangle. The X guy might pinch both sides. And so these are all different concepts that you need to be able to do without even thinking. And I, and I think you do that by really doing things. It, it goes back to our talk about fundamentals and what my concept of fundamentals are. It's like, if you're going to run a shooting drill, well, let's run a shooting drill where you're doing front side and backside stuff at the same time. But this part of it is focusing on this thing. And that part of it's focusing on that thing. Like you may run a two man up picks on the front side. Okay. That's the focus for these guys. But this, while that's going on, you're running a separate part of the drill within the same drill where they're focusing on moving off ball while those guys have the ball and then I'm feeding the backside guys. Right. Well, but back to the question of how would you define it? To me, it comes down to, and I think you made an important point of just setting a pick as a two-man game. Just getting a shorty to switch on your best attackman isn't really two-man game. That it's matchup. That, that's that just a matchup, matchup and now you're just going to dodge, which is fine. I mean, yeah. you know, isolation can work, but the two-man game to me is where you get two players on one, so that you can score a goal, and right. or d draw a third defender. If you know, so it's either we're going to score a goal off this because I got two players on me and I threw it to you, or they both went with you and I scored, or a third defender came into the mix to guard this two man game so that now we can move it to the other side. And to me, that's how I would defenses. define, you know, what true man, two man game on the ball side would be um, backside would have different. So, you know, that would be a different topic, but what's your, what's your take on that definition? On the backside stuff. I, no. I think what's your take on the definition? Oh, of you're definitely <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I, I would agree with you. I would agree. It, like you're, you're running a two man game on the front side to manipulate a defense and to put your team in a situation to where they're more beneficial to be successful. And, and I think if you can manipulate though, if you can bring three guys to, to one side, that leaves a four and three in the backside. You, all you got to do is get it there. 
and you're probably going to score a goal. Or even on the front side, if you're bringing three and one guy's carrying one offensive player is carrying two defensemen, you're going to be able to score just that three on two on the, or that, that two on three on the front side. And so manipulating defenses is so difficult to do nowadays that it, because defenses are so good. Kids are so athletic. I think the most athletic players are on the defensive side of the ball. Defenses are so good. And it's so hard to score six on six that you need to be able to manipulate people, manipulate defenses as pa- in packages that I believe the two-man game allows you to do that. Yeah. And when you think about off-ball two-man game, how would you say it's comparable to on-ball two-man game or not? I think it's it's comparable, but it's also relatable. Um, when I say comparable, I think it's like they have to be in sync, almost in sync, but not completely in sync, but you can, they have to be in sync. So you're, you're moving off ball for two purposes, I believe. Number one, to get open and score. Number two, to occupy defenses. If defense, if a defenseman who's off ball backside, who's got to help and fill down or fill in, um, if they're not, if they don't have to worry about you moving, their job's easy. And then you, no matter what you do on the front side, it's like, you're never going to be successful. But if you're constantly moving and you're moving in, with purpose in pairs and, or triangles, you, it'll, it causes defenses to be concerned. So that one time of you moving from top to bottom or into out or out to in, and it turns you, it creates your, it allows, causes your defender to turn his head. That could be the difference between a guy sneaking in and getting wide open on the crease or not. And so that backside two man or the off ball two man is almost, if not more important than the on ball two man. Um, and even though Jamie, it might not even be a two man. You might, they might be four guys working together. It might be three guys working together. But right. I, I think that again, it comes to defensive manipulation. Yeah. If you can manipulate off ball defenses, off ball, you're going to have more success on ball. And if you can manipulate defenses on ball, you're going to have a lot of success off ball. Right. And when I said comparable, what I meant was, how do you compare on-ball two-man game to off-ball two-man game as it relates to the reads and trying to get two players on you? Well, I, I think they're very similar. I, I think if you're trying to, you're, you're, you're trying to create that situation where you're causing defenders to have to make split second decisions and putting defenses in positions where the position where they're uncomfortable. And so I think by constantly working together and by moving in and out and up and down and using off ball picks and using just off ball slips or seals um, are so important. You know, the one thing that, that people always, people think you have to pick the other guy, the other player's guy. Most of the time sealing your own man is the best way to create a good situation for the ball carrier or off ball in a two man game. And so I think the, the, the comparison is pretty similar. Yeah. Um, doing, you're, you're kind of doing the same things, but just with a different perspective, from a different perspective and with trying to create different results. Yeah, that's why I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. Cause I've been thinking a lot about that myself. And, and I think that the reads are exactly the same. You're trying to get two players on one the difference being that the, they can't send a third player to an off-ball situation. <laughs> so Which when you puts get you a, in a very right? advantageous. That's the, that's the big advantage is that the, the, the focus of the defense is going to be on the ball. And if there's a two-man game going on over there and you have 
and you can successfully either get a great shot because of a, the two-on-one you can create or get the defense to send a third player so that you can swing it. That's awesome. But off the ball, if you are picking for me and you slip that pick and there's two players engaged on me while you're slipping to the middle, there's no third player to help you. Nope, and you're wide help open. Help on you. You're going to be wide open if the other side of the field can feed it. And likewise, if I seal down for you, I've sealed my man, and oftentimes your man is stuck in there, and I've sealed two players. There's two on me. You're wide open. You're getting the shot. Again, off the ball, the defenses can't send a third player. And that's the huge advantage. And we're seeing that with the PLL chaos oh, yeah. uh, in their last game. And all day long, they were feeding from what I call the pocket. So that little space behind picks, it's a pocket of space. And they can feed from that pocket. And you're seeing the gap in between. With, you're talking about the, the gap in between the two defenders. That little area in between the two defenders. Well, if there's a switching situation, there's a pocket. Um, yeah. And as well as if the defense goes under, there's a pocket. So if you stop mm -hmm. in the pocket, you can feed all day. And now, all of a sudden, you've got the attention of the other side of the field on you feeding from the pocket. And now, yeah. all of a sudden, Josh Byrne is cutting down the backside and, and Dane Smith is feeding from the pocket for a backside one-timer. And, and it really creates this massive opportunity where I really believe the whole game is going in this direction. If you watch box lacrosse closely, that's really what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And field lacrosse is transitioning from two-man game that's bait, that was based on just creating a matchup for another round of dodges. Now it's turning into, hey, let's play our offense here so that we can draw three to this side and at the same time throw the ball to the other side you know, from our pocket and let them create their own pocket and then all of a sudden, it's the combination of on ball and off ball. Yeah, and 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 it's funny that you say that because I'm just I'm I'm literally playing back the chaos game in my head because I we watched that game the other night and it was like they're such a different team in that game than they were every other game. I think because they really focused on picking out those pockets. And I I think about I think back to like when we were when we had practice the last time we had practice, which feels like ages ago. Um, Doc talking to our guys about that, like finding the gaps and and fill, and and really being manipulating those gaps and manipulating those two defenders and manipulating that area between the two of them to give yourself an opportunity to be successful. And it's like, it, it, believe it or not, and I know I'm sure you do believe it, but the whip snakes do the same thing. Like just talking to Coach Sagnita about how like he deals with, and he coaches the whip snake guys. That's what they, they just they do it a little differently because they are they don't they are so based they're kind of they have a different structure than the chaos do but they they play like that too and in and, and so it's it's really fun to watch these guys playing in the pll and see how they're kind of they're 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 bringing the game to another level like i think the pll is great i'm having a lot of fun watching it yeah no i agree with you it was a little sloppy early on but why wouldn't it be it's like uh yeah it's like watching uh you know fall across it's always a little sloppy <laughs> but um but yeah i i, I think um the easiest way to kind of get this opportunity to feed from the pocket is actually when longs are picking for shorts. Because mm -hmm. oh, yeah. shorts are picking for longs, the longs that can, you know, pressure you a lot more easily, obviously. Um, and, um, and when there's a shorty on the ball and there's a long picking for the short, 
now you can really put that defender in. You can like dig them in with your with your double threat posture. You can control the switch, and now you can sit there in that pocket and be able to feed it. Um, I have a question for you. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this as it relates to two man game. Um, moving the ball, swinging the ball um, before your two man, before you've exhausted your own two man game opportunity, swinging it to the other side. So, in other words, most of the time when you work on two-man game, you work on it in a two-on-two -two and, you, and you play it out until somebody shoots it or passes it to somebody. But when you watch the very best players, they are manipulating and hanging out in their pocket, thinking about their two-man game, but they're really paying attention to the other side, not their side. Mm -hmm. And in most, in 50% of the time, they're swinging the ball from the lefty side to the righty side, and they're not playing out their own two-man game for the sake of ball movement, for the sake of like, let's not let the defense um, crowd us. Let's not allow stagnation and standing around to occur. Um, and I wanted to get your thoughts on the concept of let's move the ball, you know, X percent of the time without playing out our own two man game to the bitter end. I just feel like moving ball movement is extremely important, but I think it's, it goes along with everything else we've talked about to this point. And that is, it's all about the feel of the situation and it's all about the creativity of a player. And if they, if a player, if your best player's got the ball on a stick and he thinks he can manipulate a situation to be successful, I want the ball on his stick. Sometimes moving the ball is great, but sometimes it's not. And I think that comes with feel. And so the more you play, you put yourself in these situations, the better you can learn the right time to swing it and the right time to hold it or not hold it, but to keep playing that two man situation on the front right. side. And that just comes from, that's part of lacrosse IQ, I think. And that just yeah. comes from playing. Yeah. They always think like, I can beat this guy. Yeah. You, know, it's you like, don't I, realize I can still beat that. this guy. It's like, yeah. Sometimes you can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is, is if you watch like the Saskatchewan rush, that are some of the best two man NLL teams is that they, and, and this coach that coached my son in intermediate up in BC, this guy, Pete Tallis, great coach, coach senior, coaches junior A. He's the offensive coordinator now for the junior Adnex, was the senior Adnex head coach. Um, great, great lacrosse mind. And he wouldn't even allow his intermediate team to feed a pick and roll. Mm -hmm. He would only allow you to swing it. He didn't want the ball fed on a pick and roll from the Dodger. He wanted it fed from the other side of the floor. So he was looking for nation's looks every time. Now that might be a little bit on the extreme, but what it does though, is it makes it impossible for the defense to cover both sides. So what the defense can do is slough over and, and rotate a third man to a pick and roll. What they can do is rotate to the pick and roll when the ball swings back to their side because the pick and roll is still going to be open. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something I noticed this summer. Yeah. That's something I noticed this summer with my 25 guys is like, that was kind of the evolution of how to play the system. And that's something that we're going to work on this fall into next summer is we, we had a lot of success early in the summer with just pick and rolls and throw into the thrown to the roll off guy, like bring, uh, bring in both defenders to you with the ball and work on pull passes or, or anything like that to try to get the ball down and then get the under and be able to score goals like that. We scored a ton of goals like that early in the summer, but then teams started getting wise to it. So they would just hold the stick in the lane and they would, they would really slough off or bring the third guy 
and it was worthless. And so then we were like, okay, now that we got this down, let's bang it across and let's do the same thing on the other side and let's manipulate this backside with the ball after doing a good job of manipulating the front side. So I think that's all, it just comes with timing. It comes with time and comes with learning. Like you said, the coach, that specific coach was like, this is what we wanted to do. And so what that allowed those guys to do is that was the mindset. It's like, we're going to really do a good job of manipulating the front side. But then as soon as we do that, we're going to really manipulate the backside. And so I think that's something that, that just comes with time and, and, and awareness and, and, and being able to put your kids in a situation to learn the, again, the fundamentals of the way you specifically want to play the situations or you specifically want your team to play. Yeah. Awesome stuff, man. All right. Last question. Um, let's talk a little bit about recruiting. Give us a little, uh, a little pitch on, um, on Sacred Heart, on how you guys are doing, how you're feeling about the program, and, and really what you're looking for in players, um, even though I know you, you can only watch them on film right now. Right. What, we, what you got to really look for and what coaches are really looking for is, is what are the intangibles of a player? And, and I think now in the, in the day and age that, we, uh, that we're in right now, being where we can only watch kids on film, it's about more than just what can they do on the film is I think coaches are going to be reaching out to coaches a lot more. Coaches are going to be reaching out to guidance counselors more. Coaches are going to be reaching out to other, other people that are in these kids' lives that deal with them on a daily basis to find out the type of people they are. And what are they going to bring to the table as far as the culture of your program? Um, culture is such a big important, it's such a huge thing now. It, it, I think it should be one of the most important things that people talk about when they talk about recruiting um, because I think that permeates throughout your whole program not only when the kids are there, but when they leave. Um, and, and how does that, how is that coming back into the program once they've graduated? And so, um, you know, it, it's, I think people just need to honestly be really, really patient more than ever before, because we'll figure this out. We're, we're, I mean, we're all pretty good at what we do. I think we'll figure out how to, how to do a really good job with this. Um, and I think coaches will be able to adjust it's going to take some time, but I think people really, really have to be patient with us and allow us to figure this whole thing out so we can put, we can continue to try to put our programs in the best situations. Um, when it comes down to it, I think coaches are going to constantly just go back to the, what they think and what they believe. And they're going to go back to the well, like we have a list of club teams and high schools that we have most of our kids from. We're going to constantly go back there because those are the people that have, put us in a really good position to be successful and get us the type of kids that they know fit our program. And so um, that's one thing that we're like, I think the coaches are going to really do is just go back to the place that they, they've known they've been successful all pretty much all the time. Yeah. What is your take on your ability to truly evaluate people only on film? What's the advantage and what's the disadvantage? The advantage is it's more than just 20 minutes of a half of a game on a field sitting there watching so you can watch a full game. The other advantage is you can see what that, kid's do that kid does after the play. Where you may, when you're watching a kid live, it may be like, I'm focusing on you, I'm focusing on what you did, and then when you shoot the ball, I'm focusing on what the goalie does because I only got 20 minutes here. Where now it's like I can go back and watch the thing happen five or six times. And so I can focus on, let's say you miss a shot or you, you, you get a bad approach on a play as a defenseman. I can, how do you react to that? What's the next thing you do? So now I can see that and I can really focus on that. And I can watch you play a full game. 
are you going to ride hard? Or are you going to sulk after you turn the ball over? You know, are you going to, are you going to try to chase a guy after you get beat? Or are you just going to stop playing and just like try to go over the head on the goal line extended because some dude just ran on, got underneath you. It's like, or are you going to chase them and, and do your job in the, within the team structure, which is what we expect you to do. You know, yeah. So I think there's a lot of that part that we get to do and that that's, it's good. And it's also, it's like, to be honest with you, Jamie, I get to sit home with my family. I get to hang out with my kids and my wife and then go in my office, watch a couple games for a couple hours and then go back and hang out with them some more. So yeah. I think that's also a huge benefit right now. Stuff I've, oh, yeah. something I've never had the, the ability yeah. to do. You know, it's like this. I mean, we all know as coaches, if you ask me after a game how we played, I'll say, well, I think we played all right, but I got, I'll let you know after I watch the film. Yep. Because you never know what happened until you watch the film. And that would be Correct. true when you're evaluating people live. So you don't really know. You could think somebody – anytime you thought somebody played – well, you go watch the film, eh, they weren't as good as I thought. Or, and I'm not talking about recruiting, I'm talking about our own team. So you thought somebody played like crap, you go watch it, like, it didn't play that badly, actually. It was more of like how it felt at the time. And what you saw isn't really what happened um, when it's ground level and in real time without the, the ability of, you know, an, a bird's eye view and replay and pause. Two of our better and two it's 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 crazy because two of our better players in our program history since i've been here my my the, our our recent history landon kramer colorado guy um and joseph jc who was a transfer um we recruited them i knew i knew i didn't really watch joe play because he was committed to go to drexel for a long time but i knew he was but we recruited him as a transfer when he said he was interested we said yes on highlight films and the same thing with Landon. We recruited Landon because Max Tuttle was his best, is his best friend. And Max is like, coach, you got to take a look at this guy. I talked to him. He sent me his highlight film. And we're like, yes, we want this kid. And now he's playing in the MLL and having a great six. He had great, he was a captain his senior year. He's one of our better players. Should have been an all-conference player. I don't know how that happened. Uh -huh. But like Joe should have been an all-American. And he was an all-conference player, player of the year in the conference offensively yeah. his senior year. And we got those guys off highlight off, tapes off of film so yeah, off film so on the one hand film is critical because it really allows you to dive deep um, obviously a highlight film isn't necessarily a deep dive but it's going to correct but it's going to give you it's going to give you like it gives you a snapshot and it allows you to spend the time to go deep correct. Uh, i think the problem with film is that like all those intangible things the intensity the quality of the play uh, being able to hear what people say to really get a feel for how hard somebody is competing uh, and a feel for how athletic they are. It seems like it's hard. Do you find that, that that's what you're missing? And do you think you could take a lot of recruits without actually seeing them play live? I don't know about that second question. I don't, I don't know. Um, I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to try to figure out here over the next, I, I can't give you an answer to that. I really can. I, I hate saying that. I'm, no, I don't like not giving answers, but like, yeah. I really don't know, um, but we're, we're going to have to figure it out very, very quickly. And so I think we, just like with anything else, when we make the decision, we made it for a purpose, we made it for a reason, so we'll stick with it. But being able to see a kid live, I, I do love film for all those reasons I mentioned. However, seeing a kid live is so different and it's so important um, that I, I, I don't know how this whole thing is going to play out right now because 
I would rarely make a decision on a player unless I saw him play live or one of our coaches. Right. If it was not me, then, then one of the assistant coaches had to see the kid play live before we made a decision up until this point. Now I don't know. Now I think it's going to determine a lot's going to be determined on the, the players coaches and like who you trust and who you don't trust in the coaching world. And, and you know, the thing too, is it's like, when you see a player play live, you get an opportunity to see all the people on the sidelines around them. So when this kid does something, what, what's going on in the chairs to the right and to the left of me, like who's saying things and the way, what, what, what way are their parents reacting to certain things? You know? So I think, you've seen it everybody's talked about it we don't just recruit kids we recruit families we recruit parents too and so that's going to be that was a big thing about seeing kids play live is we'd see how the parents would react to certain things and basically what they're saying because we're all sitting there and they're all saying it and it's like that's a big part of recruiting and so how does that get manipulated over the next few years well how are you going to like take a kid when you're not allowed to meet with them yeah that's the biggest thing like that to me is the biggest thing it's not even about seeing them play live. It's meeting them and being able, I mean, zoom calls are great. We can do this all day, but it's like, I want We've said no to great players that wanted to come and play at Sacred Heart because they show up with like their hood down, their hat on like this and they're on their phone the whole time. It's like, I don't care how good you are. I don't care who's recruiting you. I don't want you because you're not looking me in the eye and you're not engaging me. It's like, it's not somebody that I, we want in our program. It doesn't fit our culture. Right. Yeah. And also, I think not being able to see people live, it's just truly difficult to, to gauge speed and athleticism on film. I think part of the problem is we're used to watching film of like NFL guys. So when you see like, <laughs> yeah, a cross player, it's like, well, I mean, they don't look that fast, but actually, you know, but it happens actually all the time when you're scouting, you know, you're getting, you're preparing to play a team and then you're like, man, that kid's a lot quicker than I thought. Yeah. No, I thought we were going to be able to run with that guy, but we couldn't, you know. So that's that's the in-person difference, right? Yeah, and so I but again, it's just something we're going to it's like everything else that's going on in the world right now, we're going to have to adjust and we're going to have to learn yeah. and we're going to have to get better and we're going to have to improve. And so I think this is just part of it. Just part of our jobs is to to be flexible, right? And to constantly evolve. And so that's something we're doing right now. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see because there's definitely a handful of kids out there that people know they've seen live. They they come to their prospect days. They've known them. And, you know, those kids are easy to recruit. Although it's going to be tough not to be able to have them on campus, not to be able to have them watch a practice, have your team meet them. So you can kind of get the behind the scenes opinion. All that stuff is tricky, but then it comes down to like, a huge group of people that there really isn't enough information on. And now it's a question of, all right, would I take a kid based on film? Yeah. Would I want to spend a lot of scholarship money on somebody that I haven't seen live? I'm not so sure I want to. And it's going to be interesting to see what people do because now you could roll the dice and take somebody um, and somebody else, you know, that you might be a little lower on the recruiting food chain than another team, but you can take, use that as an advantage to go out and, make offers and get people to sign up when other schools are waiting and people are getting nervous about it. Which is what was happening before they changed the date. Right. Before they changed the recruiting date. Like people were getting done with their classes so soon that it left the smaller schools gave us an opportunity to recruit kids that we might not have had the opportunity to recruit before. And the other thing too is I think what's going to play a big part in this is we're in such a 
everything's such a state of flux right now with COVID-19 and like, I think relationships are going to play a huge deal here and, yeah. and, and, and kids being able to get home quickly, kids being able to be in a comfortable place that they feel safe. I think that's going to be, it's going to play a huge role more than it ever has before. Um, which it's like starting to recruit more local and kids are going to look at your programs locally more than they may have in the past. I, I mean, I don't know. It's just a thought I have yeah. and we'll see if it plays out or not. But, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things out there that who knows what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. And then are you still looking at 21s? Are you guys done with 21s? Are you still looking at 21s? I personally, done? when it comes to recruiting, don't ever think you can be done until you start playing. Like, you got, if you if I'm, we found kids in our 20 class in January and February that are, are two of our – we took two kids in January and February that are awesome. And that could be some of our best players. Yeah. So it's like we, we don't know. I, I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't buy into the whole, oh, we're done with our class. Uh, yeah. We'll see what happens. Especially if you don't have a limitation on spots, then you never have to be done. Correct. <laughs> Some people actually are done because they can't get anymore. Yeah. And, and like where, I think it depends on your school, depends on your program. It depends on your athletic department. So right now we're still kind of looking at some kids. That's so. awesome. Yeah. John, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on this. Oh, it's podcast. my pleasure, man. This was a lot of fun. A love lot of fun. I love talking. I can do this. I listen. I can do this all day, every day. I, I love love talking lacrosse. It's like it's Same. it's awesome. Let's do it again. All right. See you, buddy. All right, John. Take care.